You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Evan Ackerman, RACGP Rec Quality Care Chair or Outgoing Chair. And I would describe Evan as the godfather of the Red Book. Welcome, Evan. Thank you, Tim. I mean, you, you cringe at that, but you have had a guiding hand over the, the Red Book for quite a few years now, and you must be extremely proud of it. it it's a wonderful publication, you know. It, it's something for GPs. It's GP-oriented. It was controlled and developed by GPs against government advice, and the history of it, we suffers from some legal threats from the government, but I think it's the GP perseverance to, to develop preventative health care that's so important. That's what the Red Book really represents. And I loved your story that you told at the ceremony the other day in which when you started the Red Book, the government was so enraged that you would act, that GPs would engage in screening and preventative activities, they threatened to sue you. Yes, indeed. And they, and they felt in doing that, GPs would actually threaten the health budget and cause costs. And that was the, the big prime reason why they didn't want the, the college to undertake periodic health checks. So how the tables have turned. It's mind-boggling, isn't it, when it you is. think about it? So the Red Book focuses on screening and preventative activities. What do you think GPs do well in screening and what do you think we could improve with screening? I think in general uh, GPs have got the screening message. They understand the concepts about screening. It has to be quick, easy, simple and have a good result for patients in that what they detect is easily treatable and all those. So they've got those concepts. So I think they treat the cardiovascular issues quite well. They look at all the lifestyle issues quite well, the smoking, drinking, uh, height, weight, heads, comfort, all those sort of things. They're very, very good at the primary interventions with uh, immunisations, all those sort of things. Where we're finding a lot of the the issues is around the cancer screening, and that's probably where the Red Book gets hit most on the internet, the cancer screening. So the bowel, breast, the prostate, and those controversial areas about ovarian screening and uh, others. But after that, it's then cardiovascular screening, and after that, it's those tests with unproven benefits. But uh, I think GPs do the, the basic screenings, the cardiovascular and the basic cancer screening fairly well. I often reflect that when patients self-present for screening, which, mm. is, which is often, they are, have a high degree of worry around cancer mm-hmm. and don't have a high degree of worry around cardiovascular right. or vascular disease. Mm. And they're often quite blown away by the idea that they're twice as likely to die from heart attack and stroke as all cancers, basically. Yes. Actually, the community has a few problems with uh, screening. I think they, they have the problem that they feel prevention is always better than cure, which sometimes it's not. Uh, they sometimes feel that the, if one test is good, then three or four must be better. And they have this process about, I have to have something every year. And it seems to be inbuilt, you know, they have to have it. And often when you go through the process and say, look, you really don't need this every year, some of them sort of look at you a bit strange for a while. But You're right, there are a number of people that just want that yearly sort of tick, mm. for the, like the internal sense of I'm all A-OK, just like my vehicle is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what, what, what I do now is just I've just got the life cycle screens and first visit every year, basically. I, I just go through the checklist and say, look, you've had this, you've had this, that's fine. Yeah. We've maybe missed that, but now I, I know that all your preventative care is up to date. Yeah. And, and that's the confidence line that they want. Hmm. Okay. So, Evan, talking about the Red Book, it presents a whole range of different screening activities from newborn, basically, through the full stage of life. Yes. What do you think are the parts that GPs know a lot about, and what are the parts that perhaps 
should be highlighted more to GPs? Look, I think they know the cardiovascular areas, yep. and I'm pretty sure they know the health screening or the cancer screenings pretty well. Yep. I think the uh, areas around tests with unproven benefit, I think that's the area where we need to strengthen because we, what we see nowadays is all these screening processes going out into the community that have no evidence basis whatsoever. And GPs are being inundated by specialist groups or alternate health groups or chemists supplying all these screening tests for seemingly important diseases that have no benefit whatsoever. And I think that's an area to be very familiar with in the Red Book that GPs can get some really useful information about. So by that, you know, we're talking about these ultrasounds to detect carotid yes, uh, yes. stenoses and ultrasounds to detect aneurysms and the uh, ovarian cancer screens and testicular screens and the, the coronary calcium screening tests and all those sort of things so there's a lot of argument about the benefit of all of those yeah and i think that is where we probably need to provide more education to our gps because we're getting confronted by these sort of questions and you scratch your head a lot of the time and end up unfortunately having to google it some of the yeah. time so well I, I think it's you either go through that process of investigating yourself sometimes particularly if you're junior you're almost pressured to do it because this the specialist wants you to do it or asks you to do it and it, it ends up with costs and sometimes unintended consequences for patients and that's that's where you get into trouble hmm okay so here's a question for you evan what do you think key screening activities will look like in, say, five and ten years' time? Will they be mostly the same, or do you think it's going to change? It's a good question. It's going to change, because it obviously does. And of the, the screening tests we're doing now, I think breast cancer is going into that stage now where it's saying that, well, the benefits aren't as much as we thought, so we're going to go into that area like we did with prostate cancer where there's going to be a lot of personal choice and mm. so shared decision making so shared decision making is going to become a core component of health screening i think that's in the future the other uh, development we're seeing now is entering the genetic space yeah people doing a lot of gene testing and the evidence for that is fairly flimsy at this point in time but i think that's going to be a big area where there's going to be a lot of development in the next 10 years uh, and there's this issue around the microbiome. Uh, mm. We're living in a synergistic environment and perhaps the microbiome might be affecting our health more than we think. And I think there's been some testing around that and that might be one of those left field things we don't expect. Mm. Do you see it going into other places like screening for emotional health problems and stuff like that? I mean, I'm asking you odd questions here, I know. No, that's fine. No, no, there's already been a lot of investigation into that and there's a, the issue about screening for mental health programs or mental health issues and, yes, there is some evidence for it so long as you can do something about it. So it's, mm. it's, it's no use a pharmacist or a nurse doing it if they can't treat it in a holistic way. But if a GP does it, yes, well, there is something because you can start a management program from that. So yes, from a mental health point of view, there is some evidence. Sleep might be a, an issue that we're going to start. At the moment, there's, there's not much evidence for sleep, but that's evolving too. So they're, they're looking into to specific areas nowadays. It's fascinating to reimagine the concept of preventative disease and preventative activity and screening and where we might go. You reminded me of one interesting point, which is this idea of shared decision making. And 
One of the tools that perhaps doesn't get a lot of attention is the decision-making tool around prostate cancer yes. that the RACGPs yes. produce. It's, it's a really wonderful tool and yes. perhaps doesn't get the sort of recognition and you know, or awareness. I mean, that's a wonderful tool that, that you've it, been it's, a part of. It's, it's been updated and developed. It's been constantly looked at to, to maintain the evidence, but actually it's downloaded quite a lot from yeah. the net. It's, it's, I think, the second or third, fourth popular area from the Red Book. So people are using it, and so I think that's a good thing. Yeah, so for listeners who might not be aware, if, if you throw into your search engine RACGP prostate cancer guideline... It's a prostate cancer decision support. Decision, decision support, patient, I should yeah. say. It brings a really excellent document that you can walk a patient through. And it takes five minutes to sort of really take them through the whole ins and outs of screening versus not screening mm. and summarises your options very nicely. Uh, so the idea that we might be having to do more of that and be able to do it, do it in more conditions, I think, is very appealing. I think the other issue about converting these preventative health recommendations into patient language, converting, making a patient-focused red book, because the language that they understand is very, very difficult to the medical language we converse with. So we started testing some of these recommendations with our consumer groups to try and re-engineer some of these recommendations so they understand it. So I think that's going to be a development in the next 10 years as well. Well, you're right. Just explaining screening as a concept is, yes. is actually... Because a lot of patients associate, still associate with symptomology. Yes. So removing symptomology from the whole screening equation is really... It's a bit of a step for a lot of people, basically. It is. It is. And I think the whole thing about screening, people, it's, it's screening, it's opportunistic screening, it's case finding, it's testing for most patients. They don't understand this, this process. It's just... For them, it's a blood test to detect a cancer or a blood test to do this. And it, it, sometimes you have to work through to say sometimes doing that it can cause more harm than good so it's a it's a process they have to go through so last question Evan. I mean you're someone who has done a lot of work in preventative activities and I know you're a deep thinker about healthcare systems so my question to you would be if you could imagine a world where you're a super health minister not just an ordinary <laughs> health minister <laughs> yeah. uh, but imagine you're a super health minister who could mm. change our, our health system what things would you do to improve our health system and why? I'd have a good primary health care strategy. I'd know exactly what I wanted in a high performance health system, what my primary health care was there to perform. And I'd be very explicit about that and I'd fund those roles and functions appropriately. Too often now we have specialists doing primary health care, hospitals doing primary health care, uh, everyone else wanting to do primary health care rather than their own role. So I'd define what role there was for primary health care and say, that's what I want you to do, you're excellent, and fund it appropriately. Fairly simple. Mm. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're, we're always in this process of everyone duplicating services, everyone in there for a business purpose. We need to be funding models of care for a high-performance health system, and that's a different concept that, that what we're currently adopting, which is funding to try and get a cheap health system. Uh, it's a fundamental change that I think the, the Australian system has to go through. Mm, that's great. The change, it seems so difficult to navigate in lots of ways, but no one... I mean, people. you can imagine people saying, oh, I've got a vision for primary care, but they don't, there's really never any substance to those visions. Yes, yeah. uh, and there's never the funding to back it up. Or even the conversation out loud with the people 
you know, that it's important to actually adopt a preventative approach to healthcare with patients. Yeah. And you are responsible for your own healthcare. You might need help by way of working with your GP, but the responsibility is yours and as a government, yes. we'll work with you on it. Yes. There is a little bit too much of that total control with that with the universal health system. There has to be some responsibility with patients to build in that. But having said that, I think the, the uh, concept of a universal health system is, is fundamentally important in any health system, but it's just how you manage that that uh, is, is probably the important aspect. Well, when you build that utopia, let us know. I'm, I'm, I'm moving there, Evan. <laughs> no health system has got there, unfortunately. They all have their imperfections. But look, I, I think one of the tragedies is, is something like the NHS, where you suddenly you ignore your primary health care system. And if you can ignore it for two, three, four, five years, but eventually something cracks and you end up in a major problem of a very expensive healthcare system that's not functioning at all. And I think the credits to the governments here in Australia, they have been basically promoting that primary health or our primary healthcare system. And I think we're doing pretty well overall. Hmm. Yeah. Evan, firstly, Congratulations on your Rose Hunt Award. It was it was a, it's a wonderful acknowledgement. Congratulations on the Red Book. It's a, a wonderful body of work and a real credit to you. And thank you so much for your time today. Tim, thank you. Thank you, Evan. Thank you.